Well, we're honored today to have uh, one of my dear friends in gospel ministry bring the Word of God to us today. His name is Dr. David Innes. He is now Pastor Emeritus of Hamilton Square Baptist Church at 1212 Geary Street in downtown San Francisco. Uh, Many years ago, as I was a young man, uh, just starting out in pastoral ministry, uh, I was very naive and took a church that was down to 10 people and uh, thought I would be a church planter, right? And uh, really didn't know what I was doing, but spent a lot of time on my face uh, before the Lord. And God knew what he was doing and uh, reestablished that work. But the Lord used Dr. Innes uh, on a particular day. Uh, They were having a guest speaker by the name of uh, Robert Jordan from Lansdale, Pennsylvania, as one of their speakers at their conference. And uh, his name was Chief, for short, because he served in the Navy. Uh, during the Second World War, and uh, Chief Jordan had planted a hundred churches in his life, and um, so thinking that I probably needed some guidance, uh, Dr. Innes was kind enough to put him on BART and send him out from San Francisco over to Pleasant Hill, where I picked him up, and uh, Chief Jordan spent a day with us, and um, at that time, we were in a a one-room storefront building over deep in Concord, And uh, the first thing that Chief Jordan said was, drive me one mile in every direction from your present location. And so I was kind of showing him one mile in every direction from the present location. And so he says, okay, now let's go back to your building, and I've got some advice to give to you. I said, okay, this is going to be good. This is a guy who started 100 churches. He knows what he's doing. I'm all ears. Number one, you've got to change your present location. It will not work. Oh, no. All right. He said, I counted 22 churches within one mile, and these churches are all in their own building. Yours is not. Why would they want to come to your church building? So we did a, a study, and we relocated a few months later over to Pleasant Hill, and we saw the Lord immediately begin to grow that church. Uh, after we moved, people would call the Yellow Pages listing. It would have the wrong address. They would go there and find out we weren't there, but then they would call the number back and listen to the telephone message and then show up the next week at the right location. And uh, the Lord sent us 22 members, uh, 11 of them out of the Yellow Pages with the wrong address, so God knew what he was doing. But then the second piece of wise advice that uh, Chief Jordan gave us was get a small room so that you're not overwhelmed and then fill it up, get a medium-sized room, Try to fill it out, get the biggest room you can find, and try to fill it out, all right? So that was his years of experience. And then talking with Dr. Innes years later, he said, Brent, here's sound wisdom for you. Just keep shooting down the same hole, even if dust comes out. And so that's what we did for 20 years. We just shot down the same hole. Dust came out, but the Lord built a mighty church. And so I'm honored today to have Dr. Innes with us. He's a friend, a mentor to many pastors in Northern California. And uh, so, Dr. Innes, why don't you come and share the Word of God with us? My name is Pastor Wobbly Legs. It's an absolute joy and honor to be with you today. And I love and appreciate your dear pastor. He is a veteran now, you see. He's been through, he's been through the struggles and the traces 
And he wasn't kidding you. Uh, we pastors all, there's only one way you learn the ministry. There's only one way, and that's the hard way. And if you're in God's service in the local church, there's only one way to learn what you're doing in the church, and that's the hard way. There is no easy way to do it. Are you listening? There is no easy way to do it. And he has learned the hard way, and he has persisted faithfully through the years, and uh, God has blessed him, and it's just wonderful that you have the ministry here. Um, first of all, let me tell you now, this, this is the first time I've ever been old. And, and they don't give you a chance to practice. And uh, five years ago, I was running three miles a day. Well, something happened, and I had got 25,000 miles on my hips, and one of them wore out, so I went in for a hip replacement. So they tore the old one out and put a new one in, and it worked real well for two years. I was out jogging again and just having a good time, and then an infection came along. Those things are nasty. So they went back in and did a whole replacement again. Well, that... I started with a good recovery on that, and nine months after that, it got infected again. So my poor hip has been replaced three times, and it's in a state of revolt. It's in a state of revolt. God has blessed me with a wonderful long life. By the way, I go way back in history. Abraham Lincoln was a friend of mine. <laughs> I, I, I had the joy and the honor and the privilege to know Pastor Chet Hallberg and Dean Hallberg and Larry Ball. These, all, these men have all been dear friends of mine in ministry in Northern California here. And uh, so I've been here to this church one time previously. I do not recall the occasion, but I've been here once. And, and uh, when you've been, uh, I've had, at the same church, I've been 46 years. So there's just been a lot of places on a lot of different occasions uh, spent uh, about 12 years in Southern California becoming, before coming north. So, so I've been covered a lot of ground and a lot of territory, but it's been a, been a blessed and a, a wonderful journey. I was looking at your organist. I asked the pastor, how long has she been playing the organ for the church here? Uh, thank the Lord for good music in your church. Do you understand that worship is the entertainment of God. It is not the entertainment of man. And worship in churches today has degenerated into the entertainment of man. And it is consumer-driven rather than God-driven. You want your worship always to be God-driven and never consumer-driven. It's really amazing how people get things turned absolutely upside down in their practice in the Christian life. Man exists for God. God does not exist for man. However, when man makes God the reason for his existence, he becomes central in the heart and mind of God. It's the most blessed life you can live uh, to deny yourself and make God first in your life. Absolutely amazing. And uh, if you want to have a full life, empty your life out into the lives of other people. That's what love does. 
You just give and you give and you give and you give and you don't live for yourself. You live for others and you give. God can fill something that's empty, but he can't fill something that's full. If you want a full life, you live a selfless life. The selfless life is a fulfilled life. The selfish life is an empty life. Now look around you. The more selfish a person is, the more miserable they are. Is that true? Your brainium's working? You've got a Christian school here. The little, little, little fellow wrote his fifth grade anatomy paper and he said the human body has three parts. It has the brainium and the borax and the abominable cavity. That was his, that was his paper on human anatomy. So God gives us a brainium and I, it's really wonderful if we can put that thing to work. If we can put that thing to work. So it's just been a joy through the last 46 years in Northern California to see the hand of God on the churches in various ways, on the pastors in various ways. Pastor Chet Hallberg is home with the Lord now, and I understand his son Dean has gone back to the Holy Land, back to Greenville. You see, to go to heaven, you've got to go, got to go through Greenville. That's, that's what they're telling me these days. But anyway, he's, he's back in Greenville. Brother Larry Ball is, is, is very wonderfully uh, involved in, in missionary endeavor and activity, doing a very, very fine job at it. And uh, you have a reputation as a church of treating your pastors well. And I want to commend you for that. I want to commend you for that. They will serve you well if you serve them well. It's kind of an, a mutual, mutual serving agreement that you have with your pastor. And you folks have done well with that in, in this church in the years that I have been here. Your reputation has been good. Amen. Reputation's been good. You have a good testimony. And so we, we thank the Lord for that. I want to preach a three-hour sermon this morning. One of the dear ladies in my church, when she was referencing one of my longer sermons, she said, Pastor, your problem is that you don't have any terminal facilities. I was telling your pastor, Pastor Snow, he said, I'm going to introduce you. I said, well, just tell him our speaker needs no introduction, only an early conclusion. So we'll, we'll, we'll do our best to fit within the time framework, but I want you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. This is one of the most amazing chapters in all of the Word of God. And one of the amazing things about the chapter is that it's rarely understood and Folks do not pay attention when they, when they read through this chapter as to what's going on in the lives of so many people that are listed in this chapter. It's, it's known for the subject, uh, well, let me ask you, let me do a little quiz here. What's the main subject of Hebrews 11? What is it? Faith. Faith. That's a loaded question. Really, if you want to know the main subject of, the, of Hebrews 11, it's endurance. It is endurance. 
And faith is the reason. Confidence in God is the reason. When you read through the list of these people, you have some great ones, and then you have a lot of them that were imprisoned, cut into, dragged through the streets, martyred. You've got a whole list of all kinds, but not a one of these people had an easy life. Noah, 120 years preaching to a crowd and didn't have one convert. Wow. Abraham, 75 years, and he had nothing to show for the promises of God. Moses, 80 years old, and he's at the most difficult time of his life, and he's dealing with an obstreperous crowd of about 2 million people that just can't figure out what it is to know God and to obey God. That was a long, hard journey. Faith does not give you a short, successful journey. Faith gives you endurance because you know what's going on in the plan and purpose of God in your life. And if you look through this chapter, you will find the plan and the purpose of God all over the lives of these people. But it was a slow, long, arduous, difficult process. We in America have, don't have a clue as to what life is all about. Throw it in the microwave. 30 seconds later, it comes out. We have this instant life, instant success. We have the American dream. By the way, if you want the American dream, go to the book of Ecclesiastes, and that's the American dream. Vanity, emptiness, 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 nothing of fullness, and meaning and significance and blessing comes out of the American dream. It comes out of the plan and the purpose of God for your life. And that's another sermon that I have. Why in the world did God create us? Not to get and get, but to give. We are to be a conduit through, conduit through which God does things in the blessing of the lives of other people. This, this is the purpose of life, is giving and not getting. And the reason we get is so that we have more to give. You can't give what you don't have. Money is a, is a terrible God, a cruel God, but a wonderful servant. And it can't serve you if you don't have any of it. So we get in order that we might give. We try to multiply our lives and, and, and make our lives as significant as we can in the limited time that we have. And so... so the great faith chapter is really the great endurance chapter. Am, am I coming through? Makes sense? Makes sense. The most blessed life is the hardest one. And the hardest one is because it's hard because if you don't discipline yourself, you're going nowhere in your Christian life. You have to trump all over your ego in order to serve other people. You can't be wearing your feelings on your sleeves. You'll be out of God's work in 10 minutes. And keeping yourself, somebody asked me one time, what's, what's the most difficult problem you have in the ministry? I said, keeping myself under control. Do you live at that address? I think you do. You look suspicious. <laughs> you look suspicious. I think you do. Keeping yourself under control. Now, 
I'm, all I can do is, is give you a, a summary today in the time that's allotted to me, just give you a brief summary of what's going on in chapter 11. And we can't figure that out until we go just a few verses previous in, in uh, chapter 10. In chapter 10, all right? Hebrews chapter 10. And here, let me find this in my notes. I've got about 20 pages of notes in front of me here, okay? This is one sermon. So, I found it. It's on page 7. All right. So now, so now in Hebrews 10, you have the uh, verse, uh, verse number 35. Did I give you that? Verse number 35, okay? By the way, do you know, do you know the two signs of Alzheimer's? Did you know the two signs of Alzheimer's? Well, number one, you begin to forget things. You just can't remember. Uh, and, and number two, um, um, so I'll remember to give you the verse. Verse number 35, cast not away. It's the word ballo. Anybody play ball here? It's to throw. Don't Throw your life away. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence. Don't throw away your confidence because it has a great return of reward is what the Greek tells us here. Do not throw away your confidence. The word confidence is very interesting here. Look this way for just a moment. I'm going to challenge your thinking today if I can do it. Will you let me? Will you allow me? All right, let's challenge our thinking today. The word confidence, very interesting word. The, the Greek word parisia, which means boldness. Listen, when you become discouraged, all your boldness goes out the door. When you think things are never going to work out, then you quit. Your, your future's tied up in this. Don't throw away your boldness, your confidence. Don't do it. It has a great recompense of reward. And, and in life, I don't know whether it's in your family life, your relationship with your wife, your children, your parents, uh, other, other of your relatives, whether it's in your church life, I don't know if it's in your business life or your work life or in your school life. And I'm going to talk about that this afternoon in the message, that you might know the hope of your calling. That's the prospect. That's the future. And the circumstances in our lives don't guarantee anything. The only thing that guarantees our future is what God has to say about it. It's God's disposition toward these things. Our future is not under the control of circumstances regardless of what they are. It's under divine control. And if we walk in the will of God, the plan and purpose of God, we know the outcome is going to be wonderful. See? So now don't do that. You have need of patience. Verse 36, the word patience there is the word endurance. It means to hang on to long and live under, the, live under adverse circumstances. You have need of endurance. That you might receive what? The promise. The promise of God. 
Faith is attached to the promise of God, and when you are believing the promise of God, it is literally... Now, this, this is... Be careful here. This is hard to get. When you connect faith to the promises of God, the promise of God becomes the controlling factor in what happens in the situation. Can God fail His Word? Is it possible for God to forget His promises? Help me. Is it possible for God not to keep His Word? You see, if God does not keep His Word, He does not honor Himself. He dishonors Himself. God has honor. God cannot fail to keep His Word. He cannot. It's not possible. This is the wonderful thing I like for pastors and for Christian workers. When you do the right thing, if God fails to honor you in doing the right thing, He really fails to honor Himself. You think about that. When God cannot fail to honor what's right, or He dishonors Himself, and God cannot dishonor Himself. This is the integrity of God. It's the holiness of God. There are certain things that, as a believer, in which I can have confidence. Now, what was going on in the lives of these people? I've got to move along quickly. In Acts, these, these believers in the book of Hebrews, many of them were living in the book of Acts at Pentecost. They had seen the glorious miracles. They'd seen the thousands of conversions and baptisms. They had seen the gospel just spread out from Jerusalem. And then that spreading of, the, of, of Pentecostal power turned into a spreading of persecution where the, apostle, I'm sorry, where the Apostle Paul, who then was Saul, was chasing believers to cities all over the world, putting them in jail, presiding over the martyrdom of Stephen. And what it started out as what we would call the good days, like we're having, used to have in America, and, and we're all upset because the good old days are gone. But God isn't gone. And God is the one in charge of history. That's another great truth we learn in Hebrews chapter 11. So I'll see if I can get there. But, but, but they had lived through this, and now they were living under persecution. It was a different day. It wasn't the excitement of evangelism, the excitement of seeing all of these people saved, the excitement of the miracles and the wonders. Property being taken from them. People being put in jail. People being martyred. It was a different day. Now listen, things are going to be different in America. Things were not going back to the old days. The world's not going back in history. What are we going to do as believers? How are we going to relate to this? And in order to give encouragement to these believers, look verse 39 in, in chapter 10. We are not from those who draw back under perdition. Now, that's an expression in the Greek language. Anybody here ever do any boating? Anybody here ever had a sailboat? I think that sailboats are driven by the wind. Somebody's had a sailboat. And, 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 and he said, when you have these adverse days in your life, in life and ministry, these are days for boldness. But this expression is, don't pull the sails down. Don't trim the sails. This is not a time to quit sailing your boat. 
This is not a time to change your disposition and to figure you're not going anywhere. And if you think you're not getting anywhere in your witness, you're not getting anywhere in your church here in this city, you're not getting anywhere in your Christian school, you're not getting anywhere in your Sunday school class. Listen, God has not called you to succeed. He's called you to do the will and the plan and purpose of God. What happens to that is his business. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. What happens to this is his business. And so he gives us a list of all the heroes of faith. Every one whose character was, was an enduring character because of an absolute convincement, an absolute conviction that God was going to win. Hear me, people. Hear me, people. Write this down. God is not a loser. God is not a loser. God never loses. You say, but some of these guys died. Yes, but their blood became became the birth of new churches and their blood perpetuated generations. Nothing was lost in Hebrews chapter 11. Nothing was lost in Hebrews chapter 11. And he uses, a, and I wish I could do one, verse one. I don't have time for that. The faith is the substance. Really, it's, it's the assurance. It, it's that which gives the underlying foundation of reality and, and, uh, to that for which you hope. And evidence means a, a conviction of things that you cannot see. And the word conviction is a very powerful word there. Undeniable reality. It is a conviction. Why did Noah keep building the boat? Because he had an undeniable conviction that what God wanted was to be done and whatever God did with it was God's business. His plan was not to succeed. His plan was to glorify God and to do what God had sent him and put him in this world to do. Now, had, Moses, had, I'm sorry, had Noah gone on the matter of success like Christians do today, he would have quit halfway through the construction of that boat. And he would have said, it's not working. May I ask you today, in the light of biblical and world history, did Noah, did Noah succeed? Did God bless what Noah did? No doubt about it. But you think of the price that man paid to do it. He gave up everything of this earthly, earthly life in order to build that boat and save humanity. Didn't look like it while he was in the process. Doesn't matter what it looks like, Christian. It matters who's in charge. If God is in charge, you're okay. If God's in charge, you're okay. So, verse 3, one of my favorite verses out of this marvelous chapter. Through faith we understand, and I love this, I'll, I'll give you this from the Greek text, okay? Through faith, we, the word understand means to grasp with the mind. It means to perceive and understand. Through faith, we grasp with our minds that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Now, the word worlds here, there are two, word, two Greek words for the word world. You're still awake? It's okay? Your, your brainium is in operation? Oh, okay, so now, so now 
the word world is cosmos. That's one world. This, this, is the, this is the physical material universe, cosmos. Ladies, you did that this morning. Cosmetic. You arrange your face. It's arrangement. It's order. Cosmetic. Cosmos. It is the physical material universe, but the physical material universe is like the body of Adam. Remember how Adam was created? Remember the process? Uh-oh. I got a senior moment. What happened? All right, God, God, God made a physical. Did he make the physical body? Did he make a physical body? Out of what? I took the dust of the ground. He made a physical body out of that thing, okay? But the body was dead. It was dead because it had no divine life or purpose in it. Now, the cosmos is like Adam's body. It's a material universe. Three trillion galaxies, by the way. Okay? It's a material universe. But it has no meaning and has no purpose until God breathes into it his life. And this is what we call the Ionos. This is history. This is the living purpose of all of this universe. The stars are numbered by God. Did you know that? Not one is missing. Did you know everyone has a name? Every one of the stars, the trillions and trillions of stars, everyone has a name, which means identity and purpose. And before any of this was made, you and I existed. We were created not by our mother and father initially. In the heart and mind of God, before there were any stars or planet Earth, God knew us by name. And that means we need to know God if we're to have any idea of what, what we're here for and what our lives are about. We need to know God if we're going to get that thing resolved. Through faith, we grasp with our minds that these ages... Now, he, what he's saying is, look, this applies to us especially in USA Today. He said, you, these ages were created by God. They were framed... They were literally outfitted. They were fully equipped for divine purpose. Every period of human history, every life in human history is definitively equipped for divine plan and purpose. By the word, the utterance of God. It's not the Logos, it's the utterance of God. God speaks all of this into existence. And when God speaks, he creates history. He creates the future. When you read Revelation, this is God speaking history into existence in advance. That's how sure the word of prophecy is. So, by faith we grasp that these ages in which we live... The age in which we're living in America has divine purpose. You were born to the right parents at the right time in history and you're living in the right place because God has something very special for you in this place. And he's telling these believers, look, you, you are going through hardship and difficulty, persecution and loss. But this is part of the Ionos of God. It's the historical plan and purpose of God out of which... God will accomplish something beyond your comprehension. Now, here's the clincher. Let's, let's get it before I run out of time. Let's, let's get it. Let's get a little farther down, chapter 11. You're in chapter 11. 
And uh, let's go to uh, verse number 13. Let's go to verse number 13. This is, this is interesting, and, and I read this years and years and years, and one time I was reading through this, and it jumped out of the page at me. And I think most Christians never do see this. Look at verse number 13. Tell me what's so strange and odd about that verse. There's something very strange and odd about verse number 13. <laughs> What's odd and strange? Does God always keep his promises? Does God always keep his promises? Yes or no? Well, what does this verse say? What happened to these people? <laughs> what in the world's going on here? These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Having seen them afar off. They knew that the promises of God went way beyond their personal lives. They knew that the purpose of God for their lives went way beyond their own personal lives. Are you getting this? We think that God's purpose has to do with the present now and when we die it's over. It is not over when we die. Why are we saved today? Why do you have a church here today? This is history. We have a church because historically somebody planted this church, invested their life in this church before they knew anything about you. And you are sitting here today, and I am sitting here today, we are enjoying the blessings of the sacrifices of generations before us. We are tied to the previous generations and we are tied to the generations to follow. Somebody left this for us. This didn't happen today. This was not a self-constructing building. Those are not going to be self-planting trees. Somebody makes it happen at personal sacrifice. Somebody gives up something. Somebody does something that has meaning and plan and purpose, but to them, they may not see a thing about how, where this is all going. The person that started this, was it in the basement that they started the church? They had no idea that they were doing this for you and for me today. Are you glad they did it? But they would have thought, well, what's this all worth? We're, this is a basement church. What's a basement church worth? It's worth nothing. The other people have belfries and they have buildings and we got a basement. Our thinking is just totally out of whack. Yes or no? How we evaluate things, how we judge things. Out of whack. What, what is our life about? It's not about us. We, we are building, we are what we are because of generations preceding us. We go to McDonald's, we eat a fish burger. There are thousands of people that have made that fish burger, or that fish sandwich possible. From the guy on the fishing boat to the guy that drives the trucks, the guy that runs the power plant, that gives electricity to the processing. I mean, come on. We are not self-contained people. We just are not. Our lives are just tied in all over to the place. 
to people in our own generation, to people in the previous generation, to people in generations to come. You have a school out here. You cannot see. You have no idea what some of those runny-nosed kids are going to be when they grow up and what God's going to do with their life. You don't have a clue. And the ones you think aren't going to make it will, and the ones you think will won't. We don't have a clue. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Having seen afar off, they were able to see, poor Abraham, how in the world can a guy stay spiritual and wait for 75 years for his son? And when he died, and God said, you're going to be many nations, and kings are going to come from your loins, there's going to be a Messiah going to come along the way. And what did Abraham have to show for that? At 170, was it 175 years of age when he died? What did he have to show for it? He had number of, the only property he owned was his burial plot, the cave of Machpelah, and he had one son. That's all he had. That's a lot of encouragement, isn't it? So, are you glad? All of us today, millions of people around the world, we're sitting with our feet under Abraham's table. Yes? No Messiah without Abraham. Oh, I'm nobody. Oh, I've got nothing to show for all my son. Wait, ha, ha, whoa, whoa, whoa. Please. I'm just an ordinary common mother. I'm a single person. That's all. What do you mean all? What do you mean all? By faith, we have confidence that God is bigger and greater than to give us a life that doesn't mean anything. Come on. Come on. Nobody else is the measure of my life. I was conceived in the heart and mind of God in eternity past. And there isn't anybody like me. And I, I'm, I'm unique in plan and purpose and in history and in the own house in which I live. Now we go to the last, verse, the last couple of verses in this chapter. And, and we, we see after a long list of what we call the heroes of faith, they're really are they all, they're all the heroes of endurance. Okay? Verse 39. These all, having obtained a good report through faith, did not receive what was promised. God, now notice verse 40. God, having provided some better things for us. Now he's 2,000 years after these guys had died. And he's saying, we are the beneficiaries of all of this. And God's way is to take one generation to prepare the way for the next generation. The reason it's important to keep this church right is because you're serving not this generation, you're serving the next one. And the next one. Why are you giving your tithes and offerings? For present day? Oh, I hope it's for more than that. We are serving generations to come if Jesus tarries. 
Am I right or am I wrong in this now? Come on, I want to vote. Is this right? So we, we have to have a different, we have to have a different perspective of history. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be perfect. And that word perfect means completed, fulfilled. In other words, he's saying that Abraham's promise is not fulfilled until we came along. It's being fulfilled in generations to follow. The promises of God, hear me, hear me, hear me. The promises of God for you and the plans and purposes of God for you are too big to fit into one lifetime. They won't fit. They won't fit. They're too big. And the problem is we can't see this. This is where faith comes in. It's confidence that God knows what he's doing. He knows what he did when he made you who you were, where he, when he put you in your particular place in history. And by the way, everybody here, am, am I still, I'm st- are you still all awake? Yes. This is coffee time. Um, but, 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 but everybody, the life of every person here without exception is of historic consequences. Period. Your value is not comparative. Don't ever compare yourself with anybody else. You are not somebody else. You're not supposed to be somebody else. And it's a mistake to try to be somebody else. And many of you don't like who you are. You need to understand that God didn't make a mistake. You need to have confidence in God. He's a great God. And then we come to a theological note in, in, <laughs> in chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, wherefore, seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, and some preacher says, well, everybody's up in heaven looking down, and they can see what you're doing, and no, 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 no. No, these, these, are, these are not observers. They are testifiers. They are testifiers. You go back to chapter 11, and you could go, if you could contact Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you could contact the martyrs. Without exception, everyone that is named and listed in Hebrews chapter 11, having gone through all of the things they had to go through, all of the hardships, the difficulties, the impossibilities, the sacrifices, including with many the sacrifice of life, without exception, every last one of these would say, you can trust God. God is right. You need to persist. You need to go on through the difficulties. They would be a cheering section behind us and say, go, 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 don't stop, don't trim your sails. Do more. Give your life to divine purpose. You don't have to know the outcome. The outcome is going to be beyond anything you can comprehend. Stay in the battle. Serve the Lord. Serve your family. Serve your community. Serve your church. Don't trim your sails. It pays. <coughs> it pays. God is not a loser. God is a winner. It was worth it all, Abraham would say. Moses would say, it's worth it all. All of these men, these women would say, it's worth it all.
So may the Lord encourage our hearts today. May we endure as these in this hall of faith, this hall of endurance. May we recharge our batteries spiritually. By the way, keep yourself in God's word. That will be the great encouragement that you need and for your life. I want to tell you today that God's word will, will lift you up. God's word will strengthen you. God's word will heal your hurts. There are a lot of hurts in this battle. God's word will heal your hurts. And God's word will give you divine insight into life. It will give you a knowledge of God's divine plan and purpose. God is a great God. He is a good God. And he is a wonderful God. And when we see Jesus, it will be worth it all. Come on, Pastor. Wrap it up. Let's uh, have a word of prayer, but uh, just asking God to make this message be real in our lives, and then Josiah is going to come and lead us in a closing hymn. And during this song, if you have that prayer request, please uh, slip.